It's Rockin' Vino on KSRO, brought to you by American Ag Credit. Money for agriculture. Good afternoon and welcome to Rock and Vino. We are so excited to bring this to the KSRO Airwaves. My name is Michelle Marquis. You know me, but you may not know my buddy Coco. Hi, Coco. Hello, Michelle. I'm so excited <laughs> to uh, be able to bring this show, which you started as a podcast mm-hmm. with uh, producer Mike DeWald back in, what was it, 2017? 2017. 2017. Yeah, when we started. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about Rock and Vino. So essentially, it came about because um, I love music and I love wine, Mm -hmm. and I saw some synchronicities between the two, whether it's with um, winemakers and being influenced by songs or music in general, Mm -hmm. and then also with um, musicians either loving wine in and of itself or getting into the wine business as well. Yeah. And so it was just really fun. And then we also incorporated um, um, chefs and restaurants, so it's like kind of all the things we love, wine, food, and music. Can't go wrong. And it still exists as a podcast? Yes, it does. Absolutely. You can find it on Spotify, Apple Music, all of any platform you can think of. All right. And what is the website? It is rockandvino, R-O-C-K-N-V-I-N-O.com. Okay. Excellent. So we're very excited and big thanks to American Ag Credit for uh, sponsoring the show here on KSRO uh, to have our first guest be the perfect blend. Oh my gosh. Excuse my wine pun. The perfect blend (laughs) of Rock and Vino. Ross Cobb is here. Ross, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me on. Yes, thank you. So tell us a little bit about, uh, you are the owner and winemaker of Ross Cobb Wine, excuse me, Cobb Wines. Uh, tell us a little bit about your rock background. We'll start there. Sure. I, yep, I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area, went to UC Santa Cruz, and then followed my parents up to Santa, up to Santa Rosa and to Occidental in the early 80s, uh, or early 90s, that is, 1992. And I have been a bass player. Um, my first uh, concert I went to when I was 16, when I got my driver's license, was Slayer at, in yes. San Francisco yeah. at the at the uh, at the um, at the Stone. And you can actually go to YouTube and see me in the front row really? on uh, the December show. There's two shows. There's one on YouTube that has me there in the front row, right in front, <laughs> getting smashed. And uh, so, anyways, yeah, bass and uh, and. Um, you know, everything metal, all European, all the 4AD. I'm a massive record collector, so I've been collecting records since I was six. I have almost 6,000 records now. That's and, amazing. And so music and, and now wine, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and the wine is a big part of your life, obviously, with Cobb Wines being the way that you uh, make your, your living. Um, tell us how that came into the picture. Well, I, well, I say now wine. I've been in the wine industry for 34 years, <laughs> and my uh, my mother and father uh, started this small vineyard called Coastlands Vineyard, which mm-hmm. is a famous William Selliam vineyard designate, as well mm-hmm. as a famous Cobb Wines Pinot Noir uh, vineyard designate. So we planted those vines in '89, when I was 19, and I followed my parents up from UC Santa Cruz when I graduated, and and I worked in the vineyard with them, helping them with pruning and whatever work they needed me, pounding stakes and you know, to getting getting the vineyard set up um, with the trellis system. So I got into the vineyard business with my parents, and then after 10 years, when the vines were a little more mature, we pulled back a small block of Pinot Noir mm-hmm. that we had planted in 89 and made the first vintage of Cobb, which is 01. Wow. Yep. 
And so this was still relatively small. It was for personal use, basically. First label with actual commercial was the 01. So we made 130 cases, which is basically five barrels. There's about 25 cases per barrel. We made the first small production in 01. And then now we've grown up to about 4,000 cases over the last you know, 22 years. This will, be, this will be my 23rd vintage of Cobb this year um, in 23. Yeah. That's amazing. And your uh, winemaking journey has also involved working with a lot of different other brands. Can you tell us about that? Sure. Um, at one point, I was, I was consulting for you know, five or six different wineries. Um, there's some well-known brands that I, I worked with and established the Reeve wines, mm. <clears throat> excuse me, Reeve wines, and the, um, the Banshee wines. But more recently, um, I've been focusing on very few um, consultings and just working on Cobb Wines, my, my family brand, and uh, Pachyderm. So Les Claypool's family wines on uh, the Pachyderm station tasting room is in on North Sebastopol, Forestville. I've been helping make their family wines, very small, 900 cases of Pinot Noir, um, beautiful, beautiful, um, uh, small uh, vineyard designate wines. And that's uh, Les Claypool, from, of course, from Primus, and amongst uh, every project that you know that Les Claypool is associated with. Yes. And we've become great friends over the last 15 years, but uh, the last 11 years I've been making his family wines and become really good friends with the family. And, Socially as well as you know professionally. Do you guys ever play together? We actually have. Uh, Les Claypool does a famous uh, a, a hop monk event in yeah. Sebastopol, um, usually around Thanksgiving week, and he pulled me up on stage once or twice unannounced mm-hmm. and and threw through the bass in my my hands. So yes, there is a video of me playing bass with. Les standing behind me having a glass of wine and I'm playing with the original lineup of Primus that they wow. had introduced that night at the Hot Muck event. So there's a Pachyderm, um, the Claypool Cellars Pachyderm event every year in um, at the Hot Muck. It sells out very quickly. But, oh my yeah. goodness. <laughs> Were you intimidated to be playing with the I think Primus I was so band? nervous I didn't even realize it. Yeah, but it was, I, was, I had to come up with a bass line off the top of my head without any... Uh, oh no. And... Uh, I pulled it off. I actually less thought I was going to break his bass strings because I was playing so hard because I'm used (laughs) to playing kind of a high action bass, you know, a little thicker gauge strings and he plays very light gauge strings for all the slapping and technical stuff he does. And so I I was almost like, almost broke his strings on stage. (laughs) But yeah, but I I did well. He congratulated me years later. In terms (laughs) of uh, bass musicians, who are your idols? Who do you love? I'm honestly not a technical bass player. I'm more of a groove. So I'm not, one of my biggest would be like Sly and Robbie. You know the the dub um, uh, masters. I'm I'm really I'm really big into the the um, the, the reggae dub sound mm. from like '77 to '82. It's more basic, no pun intended. Basic um, root stuff. More. Um, um, funk technical stuff a lot of the you know obviously um, some of the most famous um, bass players that are more technical it's not really my my jam my, mm-hmm. I'm a little more of a groove groove funk um, soul uh, bass player than I am like a technical slap nice. bass player yeah. um, but of course Flea from Red Hot Chili Peppers mm-hmm. is phenomenal yeah. and Les yeah. Claypool of course is phenomenal um, I could go on and on but you not, I'm not a big uh, technical know-it-all when it comes to bass um players i was actually just watching um a replay of a 60 minutes uh interview with red hot chili peppers and flea was just like going off about all the little jazz the riffs he likes Uh, to do on his bass i'm like whoa (laughs) yeah i do play fretless bass which is pretty technical so i I, i've been actually i started playing bass on a fretless ever since i was 16 so i'm pretty good but i'm not yeah 
ba- nice. basic. What was the uh, <laughs> the first, either the first band or the first song that like hooked you? You're like, dude, like this is my jam. <laughs> well, the, the craziest first band, first live show I saw was Oingo Boingo, wow. which was at the Great American um, Hall. It was in the uh, parking lot, so you could go <laughs> pay a ticket to go see you know them and then after you could see a show and it was Wang Chung and <laughs> Oingo Boingo I think they just put the two acts together because of the names the but names, that was right. that was when I was like 14 or something back Love in 84 uh-huh. and aside from that the police um the fix and madness show the day on the green was pretty mind-blowing and then the big the reggae um, sun splash at greek theater when I, in 84 was massive it was like everybody was there from then on like i said slayer and you know all the way through the cult um name it I, I i don't know how many shows i've seen I don't yeah know, but probably thousands Ugh, that is so so fantastic we're talking with ross cobb he is the owner and winemaker of cobb wines yes and so ross do you think that some of your your musical influences um impact or affect your winemaking style by chance i definitely these this the psychology of of you know making music and creating music um, by ear, you know, creating and being able to jam on, you know, off the top of your head is very similar to making wine. So for sure, like when I'm pick, making a decision to pick a, a, a certain lot of grapes, it's very intuitive. It's very, you're, you have a feeling, you have a, a good sense that, that the grapes are going to be of a certain flavor and the wine will, will result in a certain flavor. So that's very similar with music and wine where you, you have that intuitive intuition with, with music where you have an idea of a, of a sound, a bass line and a drum beat and maybe vocals over it. Very similar to, to making wine. So we do have a wine that you've poured here in our glasses. Tell us about this one here. Okay, so um, primarily Pinot Noir that I make um, from the Sonoma Coast, West Sonoma Coast, out near Occidental, Bodega Bay. Um, and this is a vineyard that actually grows Chardonnay. So this is a uh, Chardonnay vineyard called Doc's Ranch. And if you've ever been up to the Grove of the Old Trees, that park up there, mm. we're right up there. That's mm-hmm. that's you, you take your hands off the wheel and you drive into our driveway there <laughs> after that grove. Um, this Doc's Ranch is a tiny little Chardonnay vineyard. Um, very crisp, very little new French oak, so you know, very neutral, um, um, very kind of French style, if you will. Um, maybe reminiscent of a Pouligny Montrachet, maybe from France. A very um, kind of old world uh, style. It's not the big buttery oaky alcoholic. Very crisp and um, and uh, true to the grape. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a 2019 Cobb Chardonnay Docks Ranch Vineyard Joanne's Block from West Sonoma Coast. Very uh, nice. About 12 point one alcohol so very crisp but it's really cold, nice but very complex yeah thank you mm. we're smelling and sipping right we now. are <laughs> <laughs> don't mind the silence exactly it just means that it's really good <laughs> thank you what kinds of uh, foods do you like to pair with this oh gosh i mean this the chardonnay is is and pinot noir are very versatile um i mean i i love chardonnay and pinot noir actually with with japanese food and Ooh. so or you know you could say halibut you could say um scallops um but pretty much pinot noir in particular and chardonnay as well is very very versatile um you can you can have it with a nice steak you can have it with you know chicken lamb duck all the way through hmm. to you know to sushi or seafood mm-hmm. yeah Excellent. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break. We uh, do get to try another one of Ross's wines. Ross Cobb is the owner and winemaker of Cobb Wines. You can find out more at CobbWines.com. You are listening to Rock and Vino on KSRO. It's Rock and Vino on KSRO, brought to you by American Ag Credit, money for agriculture. 
And welcome back to Rockin' Vino here on KSRO. My name is Michelle Marquis. Coco is my co-host. You can find out more about Rockin' Vino and listen to past podcasts. There's quite a few. How many do you think there are up on the website? I want to say there's like 89. Wow. It's like 89 or 90. Very fun. We're approaching 100. Okay. Mm -hmm. What is the most recent podcast that's been uploaded? Oh, man. Is it Um, The Aftershock? No. Are those up yet? No? I know that's not up yet. Okay, well, there's a little tease. We're going to have Aftershock podcasts. Yeah, absolutely. Very, so very Aftershock fun. is a metal festival in Sacramento, for those that don't know. Nice. Um, but it's really fun. features all these amazing musicians, and they featured uh, they feature wines from Maynard, of course. Maynard okay. James Keenan, because uh-huh. he usually plays that festival. So, yeah. Very cool. That will be coming soon. And you also have a wine background. Where are you currently? Oh, currently, uh, I am at Jam Cellars and uh, just uh, managing their tasting room and booking the bands that perform in the tasting room as well. Nice. And you've worked for Foley Family Wines as well? Yep. Used to do events for Foley Family Wines. And then prior to that, um, I also worked in a tasting room, this cute little tasting room called Cellars of Sonoma, which was downtown. It was a collective. Mm -hmm. So we had all these different winemakers and wineries um, there. Heidi Barrett was one of the winemakers that we featured. So... Uh, people in wine know who that is so very notable name um so really cool getting to like listen to her speak about wine and all the other winemakers that we had too so that was really fun experience awesome that's Mm -hmm. wonderful yeah well we're so excited to bring rock and vino here to the ksro airwaves and big thanks to american ag credit for sponsoring the show here on ksro our guest today is ross cobb he is the owner and winemaker of cobb wines Uh, you can find out more at cobbwines.com also the winemaker for les claypool and uh, through your connection with les claypool have you been able to meet other musicians (laughs) Yes, actually, the the first big kind of starstruck uh, moment I had was when Sean Lennon um, mm. came out uh, to. They were recording the um, the uh, on Lennon De- uh, Claypool Lennon Delirium at uh, Les's studio, and I was invited over to have a glass and hang out. And I actually had some 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 blend trials. I had some of the taste uh, the uh, barrel samples okay. that I had made for Les and his family, and so we, I was actually able to get Sean to give his two cents and he has a great palate wow. like, really really sweet guy very very down to earth very sweet lots of musical similarities um, between my, you know my background his with uh, music tastes mm-hmm. and um, yeah super nice guy and then more recently there's um this wonderful gentleman Getty Lee um, <laughs> yeah, had his, had his uh, I think a second trip into the United States after COVID but he more recently he came in and met with Les Claypool um and they were working on a project. Um, I can't say more than that, okay. but uh, they're work, they working on a project and they invited me to hang out, kind of similar to Sean Lennon, and socialize and hang out um, and talk about wine and music. And Getty wow. Lee, having grown up with you know Rush and his music, I, um, I was totally starstruck. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and it was also really cute seeing Les Claypool completely <laughs> starstruck, even though they're friends and been hanging out and collaborating, to see how, how much of a mentor Getty Lee was for Les Claypool. It was really cute to see. And uh, so got to talk for, gosh, four or five hours. We, we chatted about 
music on uh, German kraut rock that that uh, Getty Lee and I have a lot more in common than less than I did it ends up we had uh, a lot of name dropping like Amandul 2 and Noi and Kraftwerk <laughs> of course yeah. and, uh, and and a lot of fun uh, uh, Can the band Can we, we had a lot of mutual um, love of music oh my uh, gosh. and Getty Lee and also is a, mass, a massive burgundy Pinot Noir collector really? he oh. knows more about Pinot Noir than I ever could have ever imagined he and I actually have mutual friends in France, uh, Marchand Taz and some other wineries that he goes and visits in Burgundy. So Getty Lee and Les and I were talking about music, obviously bass playing and obviously music and, and our influences of music wow. and what influenced Getty Lee. And one thing that blew my mind after meeting with Getty Lee was that if you listen to his first two albums, which I started listening more back, is that he actually had a glam rock influence. And so his voice in a lot of his music was influenced. And this is my opinion. But my, if you listen to his first stuff, he actually was one of the first kind of like that glam with that high pitch vocal. Mm -hmm. And if you listen to his music, it was very glam from like huh. that early, like 1972, 73, 74. And that was, that's what I realized. He's a really big into the German kraut and glam music scene. Oh, <laughs> we'll have to take another listen. We actually <laughs> yeah. will. We'll have to go back. Maybe we'll uh, sample some of those songs uh, for the podcast. Again, this yes. will be available as a podcast at rockandvino.com. So you can go back and listen there. Uh, but, uh, you know, maybe behind the curtain, our, our Patreon listeners will be able to hear a That's little bit right. of those influences. We'll have some extras on Patreon. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And we will be talking uh, with Ross after we're done here off air and have some little bonus questions that you can find uh, at rockandvino.com. All right. So I do want to talk actually a little bit about Burgundy because you do travel quite a bit. So tell us um, what value you, do you get out of going to Burgundy and trying wines there? Well, my, my first trip when I was 30, um, I was invited by the, a Burgundy producer, um, Francois Leclerc, um, his father, René Leclerc, and um, um, very um, important winemakers in the region of Burgundy and within Gevray Chambertin, the village of Gevray Chambertin, has a famous vineyard Chambertin, which the name is included in the, the village name. And so I went and visited uh, Francois because he had visited me when I was working at William Selliam, and him and his wife, uh, Catherine, came and tasted with me at William Selliam when I was there in 99. I worked in the cellar and in the lab and the vineyards at William Selliam in the late 90s. And they invited me to come to Burgundy. So I took a, a month and a half off between William Selliam and Flowers Winery, where wow. I ended up okay. being for nine years after. And I went and stayed with Francois and, um, and his wife, Catherine, and they set me up with all these appointments in Burgundy. And I stayed for two and a half weeks and just tasted in the summertime in July. And that's what really opened my mind up to Burgundy, the different techniques. There's quite a diversity of, of styles coming mm -hmm. out of Burgundy, even back in the you know in the early 2000s. So I learned a lot about that, and then it became an annual thing. So now I've been back 14 times to Burgundy, amongst uh, many other regions of France and Europe as well. And my my goal is to learn about winemaking, to taste wine, of course, be inspired. Most of the, and coming back with that inspiration is really important for me, and uh, less to kind of name drop and more just to really learn and taste and learn about the vineyards, the soils, and also the coopers, the barrel producers in France mm. are really important uh, part of the equation because you want subtlety and you want nuance, and so using barrels from certain microclimates of 
France and Burg- you know Burgundy were actually are paired and matched with particular wines hmm. the style you want to make. Hmm. So that's something I've learned over the, the last like 22 years. Wow. Yeah. So fascinating. Yeah. And you amazing. went to University of Santa Cruz to study soil science, is that correct? That's correct. I started off as a biology major and then quickly moved to environmental studies mm. and so I kind of started my freshman year my, on my sophomore year again and redid and did a whole um, in-depth environmental studies and agroecology was is my major and sustainable ag and and then within that major there was seven people in my graduating class at uc santa cruz which was the living soil soil science and so i spent the last year um mentoring with mark buchanan who was the soil scientist at the time so i came back to sonoma county followed my parents you know up after they had established coastlands and had a lot of knowledge and a lot of um a lot of sustainable and organic influences from that program that i applied to all of my, my winery jobs here. I worked at Ferrari Crono for four years right out of college, and then Bonnie Dune back in Santa Cruz, and then William Selliam, Flowers, Hirsch Winery, and then all during that last 15 years of Cobb Wines was 01 to 2015. Wow. Now, your dad is a marine biologist, so was he um, excited about you uh, majoring in soil sciences, and was he receptive to the things that you wanted to bring to Coastlands? He, um, yes. His um, his background, marine biology from San Francisco State and uh, Cal Berkeley in ecology. He actually has two masters in, in ecology from, from um, Stanford as well as uh, UC Berkeley, but also a big gardener green thumb so he established and my mother diane established coastlands vineyard i think they thought that was going to be the end of me meaning i'd go off to college <laughs> but i followed them up I mean, <laughs> and maybe that wasn't his intention or hope but i did follow him up and you know and it, what they established out at coastlands and occidental is just a phenomenal um, phenomenal vineyard yeah. now completely dry farmed for the last 20 years wow, which okay. is really cool in this time of uh, climate change and talk such. about sustainability my yep. goodness yeah exactly. <laughs> right and that uh, marine influence there is that helpful does that make your your grapes different definitely the the climate as you probably all know if the climate from santa rosa to sebastopol to Grayton, to Occidental, to Bodega Bay changes almost you know twenty degrees on some days, especially mm-hmm. when that fog's coming in on the yeah. off you know onshore. Any surfer or you know fisherman knows this, or fisher fisherwoman knows this is the the influence of the ocean, and so yeah, be- a beautiful coastal climate. Uh, it moderates the ripening of the Pinot Noir and Chardonnay grapes on the coast. Nice. Now, Coco's, there's a question that we uh, definitely want to ask before because uh, we're, we're just about two minutes out before we're done that we ask every Rock and Vino guest. We do. Okay, so the question is, is uh, on a good day when you're home, what are you opening? What are you, like, what are you drinking? What are you listening to? And what are you eating? Wow, okay. Well, <laughs> uh, my... Um I, I love uh, the ramen gaijin. I love to taste uh, the, the wines, that, uh, the, the uh, food that um, Matthew Seven Oaks is doing at Ramen Gaijin and Kamloi. Those are two places. And mm-hmm. Underwood in Grayton, I, I love to eat. And I usually will grab some food either to go for the family or or there. When I'm at home, I'm listening to an enormous amount of records, so it's a, it's a little overwhelming. But right now, on my record player, what do I have? I have a, a OMD um, single that I really nice. love called Georgia. And if you don't haven't heard that song, it's a phenomenal um, uh, mix. And then uh, wine that I've got right now, I've got a cellar of the wines that I've made over my last you know 30 years of my career. So right now, on my countertop with the little vacuum thing, is uh, I've got a, a Hirsch um, 2013. Peter Noir that I made mm-hmm. for the Hirsch family, and I also have a a wine that my friend made at the uh, at, uh, at at from Coastlands Vineyard. 
Yep. Wow. This was so much fun. Thank you so much for being our first KSRO Rock and Vino guest. Thank you. My pleasure. Really uh-huh. nice to meet you, too. We'll, yeah, ha- you we'll too. have to invite you back. I love it. All right. Uh, Ross Cobb, uh, owner and winemaker of Cobb Wines. You can find out more at cobbwines.com. Coco, we'll see you in two weeks. Sounds good. This is KSRO. It's Rock and Vino, available where you listen to podcasts. Our guest is Ross Cobb of Cobb Wines. You can find out more at cobbwines.com. And this portion of the conversation did not air on uh, the radio airwaves, but we did want to share it with our fans and our podcast listeners. So what's next for Cobb Wines? Are you sticking with this? Are there any other consulting things that you're... Yeah, fortunately, I'm just working on my family, my my wife and daughter. Daughter's, you know, getting into high school soon. So that's where my life is going, um, our lives. Um, Personally, with winemaking... I'm just focusing on Cobb wines. I'm trying to get to you know about 4,000 cases, which is a nice happy number for um, you know kind of sustainability and, and economically, and as well as uh, my focus. I've been doing less consulting, just focusing on less Claypools and um, another winery called Furthermore in Grayton. Mm. So those two labels have great tasting rooms if you need to get out and out and about and want to go to those. Um, but that's keeping me focused: the family, my music, and the you know the three labels that I do. But Cobb wines is my primary, you know day-to-day and I have three great employees that help me on the sales and marketing side and um, we're um, yeah we're a lot of travel I'll be traveling over to um, to Japan and South Korea um, this year and um, you know back from New York last week so a lot of, a lot of domestic travel love, it. love representing the brand and getting you know getting my wine out into the world yeah and that was something that you really like it was your grassroots efforts to get cob wine sort of going right yep yeah yes when I started my parent my family of course started the vineyard and I realized quickly that the coastal fog was going to be very dramatic um, in yields, meaning you may get three tons per acre on a really good year and you may get half a ton per acre on the next year Mm. when the fog hits the flower and the pollination. Mm. So we started Cobb Wines and I, with my um, um, kind of uh, whatever, um, um, I, we we started cob wines as a way to kind of buffer the off, the off the off years. So if you get a half a ton per acre, at least you made wine the year before and you could sell the wine. Sure. So that, yeah. that was a way that I kind of buffered the the, the yields out on the coast. Um, but yeah, uh, starting cob wines was a way for my family and my my mother and father to kind of have a more reliable retirement, mm, and yeah. which worked out well for my dad yeah and then yeah. you went into san francisco and you brought wines and just like targeted certain restaurants what was what was that story <laughs> yeah the first first um w- the first 10 years of Cobb wines we actually sold all our wines in california direct which you can you don't have to go through a distributor although it's really helpful mm-hmm. um we um sold to restaurants and my father was not much we didn't we weren't big restaurant tours we didn't know all the you know michelin stars places we were pretty you know local local uh, restaurant scene and so i bought a zagat review or zagat however you want to say and i we literally just circled the you know 23 and above you know (laughs) scores which is you know the kind of 23 to 28 kind of score and we just circled all the the top scoring wines and and our restaurants and then cold called them and then the first year we did a credit system where we're just like it was like cod just because we didn't know these people right and that quickly narrowed it down to the, the the 
the good uh, you know, financially secure <laughs> restaurants. Right. Yeah. And then we just we established that system throughout all of California. So we had 120 restaurants that we established by huh. ourselves. And um, and then after 10 years of doing that, we realized that's a lot of work, a lot yeah. of travel for like one rep to represent one brand. It's not very efficient. So then we now have a broker we've been working with for okay. 15 years, and they have doubled our our placements in California. That's fantastic. So yeah, that's kind of that's how we started the business was kind of the restaurants, shops, and then of course our website. Right. Yeah. And how do people get your wines today? Um, fifty percent of it's pretty much by volume is through our website, and then fifty percent of it's through um, the distribution network. So we're in about fifteen different countries um, and states. Um, we're hoping to grow that to about twenty. Um, so you can get our wines all throughout the U.S. and all throughout Europe and Asia, in small quantities. And then, but a majority of what we focus on is the direct to consumer which is through our website cobwines.com yeah and you don't have a tasting room we don't we do tastings at our vineyard okay so we have like you know a casual you know buy um, appointment kind of yeah it's a meet with the winemaker me in the vineyard you know and that's that's we do that with a lot of trade people a lot of industry trade and then if you have you know family out from you know st louis missouri or something you can come and we'll host you okay but it's it's very fun you can you can email us and make an appointment to just taste but we can't we're not an official tasting right Okay, got it. So at cobwines.com and click on that contact us yeah. link there. Very cool. And then before you go, I do want to ask you, you had uh, recently been featured in a prominent movie that came out. So tell us about this. Okay, well, the movie is called The Menu. And it's oh, an industry. I love that movie. So on in the third course, if you're paying attention, and I get text messages every other day, third course they're pouring the Pinot Noir yeah and uh, they they hyper decanted it and um, uh, there's a there's a quote in there of um, of of longing and regret and that's they refer to the 2013 Cobb Coastlands Vineyard Pinot Noir oh my gosh. so and they, they actually poured the wine there's not a, bo- a label shot in right it, but it, but they actually say Ross Cobb wines are made by Ross Cobb so wow. that's the reference wow, that's amazing. and it's it's always funny because people see that movie right and at that point in the movie it hasn't gotten really really dark because right. it's a thriller oh my uh, gosh parody. it's an amazing great movie it's yeah. amazing and so if you haven't seen the menu please do and yeah um, the uh, course three is uh, is featured uh, my Pinot Noir for, so how did that happen that's so cool uh, Dominique Crenn from Atelier Crenn in San Francisco has yeah. been a big supporter of Cobb Wines uh-huh. and she was the creative um, director so she okay. um, she was the consultant for the, um, the food and wine and so she contacted us about a year and a half ago and asked if we would be open to having a quote in the movie. And we said, <laughs> for sure, but we couldn't help co-write the quote. It right. was like, whatever. So they threw this quote at us about a year and a half ago and went, okay, that's pretty out there. And we agreed, <laughs> and so that was it, yeah. Did you know the nature of the film? We knew some, it was a food uh, parody thriller. Okay. So we mm-hmm. knew that it was gonna be kind of a, a little bit out there. Right. Um, but were you we, worried at all about representation? I mean, of once I knew who I was acting, I, you were I, I was oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. And it's amazing. I mean, it's not just like a little, you know, cult film. It's a pretty, I mean, everyone's, a lot of people have seen yeah. it. It's yeah. a pretty, pretty well, well established, you know, film. So yeah, no, pretty, pretty happy with that. Yeah. And everybody that I've talked to that has seen it, they're thoroughly impressed. And it's like, I mean, it's just one of those movies that you watch not really knowing what you're getting yourself into mm-hmm. and then you're like in it and it continues to grow and evolve and you're like dang okay oh my like gosh. this is woo you know I know and I the know. end and the ending is amazing 
And then I also, like, I felt so bad because at the beginning of the movie, I'm, like, identifying with Nicholas Holt's character. And I'm like, oh, how awful is it that I'm identifying with Nicholas Holt's character? <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. There's so many nuances to that film. I've seen it the, mm-hmm. the second time I watched it. The first time was in the theater. Mm-hmm. The second time, you know, on um, HBO Max. Um and I was picking up so many more details that I didn't pick up the, f- the first. Yeah, I'm gonna uh, have to watch it again. I've only seen it once. Yeah, but I need I'm, to watch. It I'm again planning too. on watching it again. It's it's actually uh, like ten times better the second time because you really? pick up all these little little oh. subtleties you didn't pick up the first time. It's yeah, it's fun. Oh yes, my gosh, so fun. Um, really quickly too, I want to ask you what um, either like what was your favorite concert you ever attended or most memorable. Mm. Yeah, we talked a little bit. I kind of flew through Oingo Boingo, which is most, that was the first concert I went to where we flipped a garbage can upside down and jumped off. So we had, we could see over the crowd because we were like 13. <laughs> and um, that was at the Great America, um, you know, parking lot. That was probably the most memorable because it was my first, like, absolutely mind blowing. And the acoustics of Oingo Boingo, I don't know if you've listened to their music recently, but their music, they're some of the most talented, obviously. Danny Elfman, Elfman. Yeah. talented musicians but at the time that was mind-blowing and i'd say i have to say that and slayer when i saw him at the stone in 86 when i was 16 that was mind-blowing um i was it's a funny story and that's probably the most incredible story is that my bass teacher my first bass lesson when i was 16 he's like so great you're gonna learn metal bass like really fast bass but like with your fingers not with a pick I was like okay and he basically just told me what he was gonna teach me it wasn't like (laughs) what do do you want to hear you know (laughs) Crosby stills and that no he he was just he basically told me I was gonna learn all these like heavy heavy uh, grindcore metal like you know dark metal stuff and and at the end of the first bass lesson he's like so Ross uh, do you have your driver's license Hmm. I'm like yeah he's like do you have a car I'm like yeah he's like if you drive us to see Slayer at the Stone, I'll, I have an extra ticket. And so I had only had my driver's license like three months. And so we drove, you know, into San Francisco oh my gosh, and saw Slayer and uh, blew out my car door speakers for sure. I love that. Listening to Slayer. And, yeah, but um, Slayer and, you know, Rain Blood, that that album was a big influence for us because we, we, we are skateboarders. I, I skateboarded for 20 years in um ramps and pools and built them before the you know the parks were open and um skated for you know many many years and that was a very important part of our we were talking about you know wine and music but like the very important part of listening to um music and skateboarding it was literally like dri you know um Slayer, Creator, it was all these like really fast, like intense bands. Bands you don't typically listen to when you're just hanging out at home right. on the couch. <laughs> yeah. It's like music that you're Certain like... Certain energy, you, yeah. Yeah, and so that, I definitely think the Slayer at the Stone was definitely the most mind-blowing show. I'll never forget, yeah. And yeah. I, I can't forget because it's on YouTube. Like I right? said earlier, you can see it December of it 2000... Or t- 1986, December. There's two shows and the one that's on YouTube, I'm actually in the front row. I've got like a blonde kind of toe-head skater haircut. <laughs> Sweet. I'm definitely going to look that up. I'm going to find you. And then I'm going to rewatch the menu. Yep. Yep. All that fun stuff. That's right. so cool. Well, thank you so much for coming in. This is super fun. My pleasure. Yeah. Thank Anytime. you so much. <laughs> awesome. Our-
Our guest is Ross Cobb of Cobb Wines. You can find out more info at CobbWines.com. You can also uh, try his wines. You said that it's poured by the glass right now at Jackson's. Yeah, that's correct. All right, Jackson's Bar and Oven, downtown Santa Rosa. Great place to get some good food and a glass of Cobb wine. And, uh, and also the winemaker for Pachyderm. So uh, if you try any of Les Claypool's label wine there, you'll enjoy that as well. Thanks a lot, Ross. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. And thanks for listening to Rock and Vino.